take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Joshua chapter 4. Joshua chapter 4, as we continue our study through the book of Joshua, we come this morning to Joshua chapter 4, which we will look at this morning in its entirety. I don't know if it's the fact that I have five children or it's just my stage in life, but I have been to a lot of kids' birthday parties. I have to tell you, almost every birthday party I go to for kids, I I think to myself, this seems to be a little much. Now, I was there when all five of my children were born. Now, to be completely fair, I almost missed the second one because I went to get a smoothie, but I was back in time. (laughs) It's honest truth. I was back in time. I I was there, saw all five of my children born. It was a great moment, an exciting moment, and I just am so thankful for those moments, but I'm just being honest. My kids didn't do much. Like, they just kind of showed up. And then every year, we gather together on this day in which they just showed up and give them gifts and celebrate all of the great accomplishment that they came into the world, something in which they had nothing to do with at all. And there's mom over in the corner who has worked tirelessly to give them this party, and there's just something to me that thinks every time, why isn't she getting the presents? Like, she did all of the work. Do I have an amen by any moms this morning? And I, you know, I... I should at least get a card. I took pictures and got a smoothie. I mean, I, should, I deserve something on this day. It just kind of appears at times that we might have it a little bit backward. But, but we all know that's, that's not the point of a birthday. We, we don't celebrate a birthday because of someone's great, grand accomplishment of, of being born. We are celebrating just them. A birthday is, is really an annual marker. It's a day on the calendar that we set aside because it points us not only to the significance of that moment, but the significance of what that moment represents in our lives. We need these kind of reminders. We, we need these dates set on the calendar because we're forgetful people. And it's not that we would forget that person was born, but it's that we would forget to celebrate the fact that that person was born. Now, I know some of you guys are the anti-Valentine's anniversary guys because what you say is every day is Valentine's Day at your house. I know you say that on February 13th. I just always am pretty confident your wife would disagree with that. We need these days. We need anniversaries. We need Valentine's Day. We need birthdays to cause us to stop and to reflect and think about God's faithfulness and goodness. And you know what? Those kind of days are good and right and even godly. They point us to something about the heart of God. They point us to something about the kingdom of God in which we're forced to stop and reflect about something that means something to us. Now, all of our lives are marked by moments. Some small moments, some big moments, but our life is made up of moments. And all of those moments combined together, even the ones that we don't remember, are being used by God to make us into the person that we are. And there are some of these moments in which God does not want us to forget. There are some of these moments in our life which God has put in our life to serve as something bigger than the moment itself. That God has a purpose behind that moment. The fact is, is that all of us have moments in our life in which God wants to set aside as monuments to his faithfulness. 
moments that God wants to turn into monuments of his faithfulness. And that's exactly what God is doing in Joshua chapter 4. Now, I know that when many of you were away last week at spring break, you all sat on the beach and watched live stream. And I appreciate that, and I'm certainly uh, that was the case. But just in case you might have missed last week, let me remind you of what happened in Joshua chapter 3. God brought the people to the edge of the Jordan River where he had them camp for three days. It tells us that it was at the time of the harvest, which is a significant detail because it reminds us that there was one month of the year and one month only in which the normally tame and placid Jordan River was now a raging rapids overflowing the shores because all of the snow from Mount Lebanon melted, came downstream, and for one month, the Jordan River was deeper, wider, and stronger, and faster than it ever was. It's at that moment in that month in which God brought them to the shore of the Jordan. And he brought them there and just made them sit there for three days because he wanted them to look at it. He wanted them to feel it. He wanted them to hear it because he was creating a moment, a moment in which they came to the realization that they were utterly inadequate to do this on their own. That that thing which God said they were going to do in Joshua chapter 1, that about 2.5 million people were going to cross over the Jordan, it became very clear that it was humanly impossible as they sat there and looked. It was a moment. The Bible tells us that God told the priest to take the Ark of the Covenant, which symbolizes the very presence of God, and before anyone else moved, the Ark would move, reminding them that it is God who is going to lead the way. And it tells the priest that as they take the Ark of the Covenant, that they should not only go to the shores of the Jordan where their water is overflowing, but they should continue to walk and step into the Jordan before God ever parts it. And so it is that they go and they step their feet into the Jordan, and as they step their feet into the Jordan and all the people follow behind them as a test of their faith and evidence of the fact that this was only something that God could do, at that moment the waters parted. 19 miles wide. Water here, water here, 19 miles in between. And it tells us that the entire nation walked across without their shoulders getting wet, their hair getting wet, their feet were not even wet, because it tells us twice at the end of chapter 3, they walked across on dry ground. Why? God was creating a moment. A moment to remind them of their inadequacy and a moment to remind them of their ability. And it was a moment of God's ability and it was a moment that God did not want them to forget. You know, we have to constantly be reminded that God is not just about the destination. God is about the journey. God has promised that he will complete the work that he started in us, Philippians 1.6. He has promised that he will glorify those who he justifies and sanctifies. He will get us safely to the end, but his goal is throughout all of that process to use all of these moments in our life to make us into the person he wants us to be. Was it God's desire to get them across the Jordan? Absolutely. Had he promised it 500 years before? Absolutely. But God was not just concerned about getting them to the other side. He was concerned about the process in which he got them there. And they had a moment. God wants this moment to be a monument to his faithfulness. So that's what he tells them in chapter 4. If you're there in Joshua 4, say amen. He says this, When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan... The Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each a tribe a man. 
and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. By the way, what happens here happens often where it says, The Lord said to Joshua, and then the next verse is followed by, Then Joshua called the twelve men. It is showing us over and over that God spoke to Joshua, Joshua obeyed, and he commanded the people. And so it is, the Lord said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back into the Jordan after everyone has crossed. I want you to grab some stones. I want there to be one representative from every tribe, each of you taking one stone. And I want you to get that stone and I want you to carry it over and I want you to make a monument at the place in which we're camping. That's exactly what they do, it tells us in verse 8. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded. They took up 12 stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. Now, verse 9 tells us something interesting. It tells us that Joshua made his own monument as well. We know this is a separate monument because it's put at a separate place. So the 12 men go, they get the stones, they come back to the camp at Gilgal, and they build a stone monument made of 12 stones. It tells us then in verse 9 that Joshua set up 12 stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there to this day. I think Joshua was having his own moment. You see, this was a moment for all the people, but this was a moment for Joshua. Joshua was one of the 12 spies who had gone in 40 years earlier who tried to convince the people to go in as well, but they refused and walked in rebellion. This was a big moment for Joshua. So Joshua, knowing the significance of this moment for his own life, he made his own monument. So here at the end of chapter 4, there are two stone monuments, one by the 12 tribes and one by Joshua himself. Now it says in verse 15 that the priests bearing the ark of the testimony were called to then come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, and when the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the sole of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place, emphasizing again here at the end, and overflowed all its banks as before. Two stone monuments representing a moment in which God did something incredible in the life of the people and the life of Joshua. Now, the end of the chapter gives us the reason for these monuments. They're given to us in verses 21 through 24. Look at those verses with me. Here's the reason for these stone monuments. He said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know. Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Now, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down because I want you to see the four reasons for these monuments. Did I say four reasons? Did I say that? I'm gonna have to add one because there's only three. 
There's three reasons, all right? So if you just numbered one through four and I totally messed up, I'm sorry about that. Just scratch them, and then scratching out, oh, you OCD people get you really messed up. Three of them, all right? Three reasons in which God has called them to make these monuments. The first one is this. They have a memorial purpose. A memorial purpose. You see that when he says this, your children are gonna ask in fathers and times to come, what do these stones mean? And then you're gonna tell your children that it's because Israel passed over the Jordan on dry ground. Now twice he mentions the same purpose. He also mentions it in verse six and seven. Verse six says, when your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you will tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel, here's the word, a memorial forever. Just like a war memorial or a presidential memorial or some historical memorial, the reason those memorials exist is because a coming generation will never know the significance of a certain event unless there's some memorial that's placed there. It is good and right and important for the next generation to go to a war memorial or presidential memorial and be reminded of where we came from and be reminded of the sacrifices that have been made. And without those memorials, they wouldn't have a reason to know those things. And so generation after generation knows that in order to remember something and in order for the next generation to remember something, there must be some memorial that is set up. And it's exactly what they did here to remind the next generation who they are and where they came from and why it is that God created them and the miraculous works that God did for them. Now, now look at verse 19, talking about this idea of moments mattering to God and dates mattering to God. It says, the people came up out of the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped at Gilgal. We talked about the significance of the details last week, but why in the world would they mention right here the time in which it was that they crossed over because that was the time in which the people began to celebrate the Passover. That was the day in which it was established in Egypt that the people would go find a lamb and that lamb would be slaughtered and the blood of that lamb would be put over the doorpost so that the people could be saved. And so it is God coming back at that exact same day a moment that was already significant and reminding them again that it is only the Lord who has the power and ability to save. That moment and that date mattered to the Lord. So the Lord said, make a monument that has a memorial purpose so the next generation will know like the lamb reminds us and the stones remind us of what our God is able to do. It has a memorial purpose. But it also has a missional purpose. Look at verse 24. A missional purpose. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. The thought was is that other nations would come and would see this monument. And the nations would ask the purpose of this monument. And it would give the people of God an opportunity to point back to what God did. So that the nations might come to fear the Lord. Remember Rahab in chapter 2? Rahab said, we have heard of what happened at the Red Sea. We've heard about what happened at Egypt. And all of the people are terrified because they've heard the reports of what the Lord has done. Rahab is the only one who chose to trust and follow the Lord, but all of them had heard. And the reason Rahab trusted and followed the Lord is because she had heard about the works that God had done. 
Now listen, starting all the way back in Eden, when God had one river going into Eden and four rivers going out, symbolizing God's desire for his glory to go to the ends of the earth. Going to Genesis chapter 12, when God establishes a covenant with Abraham and says, I'm going to bless you that the nations might be blessed, it has always been God's purpose to bless his people so the nations might know who he is. It has always been the purpose of God. It even says that even in the crossing of the Jordan, this had a missional purpose, that God was going to create this moment so spectacular that the nations might hear of it and they might come to know the Lord memorial purpose for the next generation, a missional purpose for the nations who have not heard. The third purpose is this. It has a motivational purpose. Look at the end of verse 24. That you may fear the Lord your God forever. You see what he's doing? He says the purpose is for the next generation. The purpose is for the nations. And the purpose is also for you that you might fear the Lord. What the Lord is saying is this. He's saying, listen, this was a great moment, but there are many more moments to come. There are gonna be many more moments in your life when you're gonna be in some way standing on this side of the Jordan River River, facing some obstacle that seems absolutely impossible and God has commanded you to do something that is humanly impossible and you're gonna wonder how in the world you're gonna do it and you're gonna look back at this monument and you're gonna be reminded that the God who did it before is the God who can do it again says that you might fear the Lord. Now, every time the Old Testament talks about fearing the Lord, it is the equivalent of the New Testament, trust and follow the Lord. It's the same thing. To fear the Lord is to acknowledge that the Lord alone is God, and in response to that, choose to follow him. It's trusting and following Jesus. And he says these moments in your life This monument is to point you back to the faithfulness of God that you might continue to trust and follow him, to renew your faith and renew your passion and your fervor, to move you forward. It's a motivator. This monument has a a motivational purpose. It has a missional purpose, and it has a memorial purpose. So you see what God did here. God took a moment, and he made a monument out of it a monument to his faithfulness so the children might someday know, so the nations might someday know, and so that those who experienced it might be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Now listen to this. God is still taking moments and turning them into monuments of his faithfulness. God is still taking moments and turning them in to monuments of his faithfulness. And the purpose of these moments remain the same. God has created all of these moments in your life that these moments might be a memorial that the next generation might know what God has done for you, that the nations and the lost around you in your community, in your neighborhood, in the workplace might come to know what God has done for you. And so that those moments might continue to motivate you to walk faithfully with the Lord. God is still taking moments and turning them into monuments. Now, I want to tell you how he does that in our lives. Because the monument looks different than it does in Joshua 4, but the purpose is still the same. There's a couple of ways in which God is still building monuments in our lives. The first one is this, God is building spiritual monuments. Write that down. God is building spiritual monuments in your life. Monuments 
that represent a moment that remind us of his faithfulness, spiritual monuments. God's a God of moments. I think we, we have to acknowledge as we read the Bible that moments matter, significant moments matter, and our lives are filled with them. And what we know, because we believe in the sovereignty of God, listen to this, all of these moments are not human coincidence. All of our moments are a matter of divine providence. All of your moments are not about human coincidence. All of your moments are about divine providence because we believe in Ephesians 1.11 that our God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. We believe in Romans 8.28 that God is working all things together for good, for our good and for his glory. We believe in Proverbs 16.9 that the mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. You make your plans and you hold them loosely because God in his sovereignty will change them. All of those verses and thousands more are reminding us that our lives are made up of moments of divine providence. And we believe in a God who is behind every twist and turn of your life from the moment that you're born until the moment he takes you home. What that means is this, is that our lives are filled with moments in which behind the scenes, God was working and God was moving and God was showing up and God was orchestrating and every single one of you have them. You have moments in which God gave you wisdom. You have moments in which God gave you direction. You have moments in which God gave you grace. You have moments in which you saw God give you strength. You have moments in which God did something miraculous. We all have these moments and some of them are incredibly dramatic and some of them are not. But every one of those moments are significant because God wants to take those moments and make them into spiritual monuments. And he wants to do it for the exact same reason. Listen, do you realize that there are moments that God is orchestrating in your lives that have a memorial purpose? Moments in which he wants you to remember so your children or the next generation around you might look back and know about those moments and they might trust in the Lord because of something that happened in your life. There are people who need your stories. There are people who need to be reminded of what God has done. I, to me, this is the greatest beauty of a multi-generational church. This is the beauty. Because we need the stories. We need the reminders. I used to teach uh, twice a year uh, early in my ministry uh, a little Bible study through the book of Titus. And I would take 10 men at a time and take them through the book of Titus. One of the things that was kind of mandatory for these groups is that I would choose 10 men based upon their age. So I would get two guys in their 70s and 80s and then two guys in their 50s, 60s, in their 30s, 40s, and in their 20s. And the reason I did that is because if I took a group of guys in their 20s, then we're just kind of pooling all the ignorance together. It's just a bunch of bad ideas. I also realized this, is that I'm gonna have a 35-year-old guy in this group and all of a sudden, he's going to get honest and talk about some of the struggles he's having in his marriage and struggles in the workplace. And what he's going to realize is there's a 75-year-old man in the group who did that 30, 40 years ago. And he knows exactly what it's like. And those two guys really need each other. Because the older guy is going to be able to talk about a moment, which is a monument to God's faithfulness. And he's going to be able to look back. And that moment that he went through when his marriage was saved and he learned how to navigate work and family, he's going to realize that that was a monument used to the next generation for them to know, listen, we need these stories. And many of you have them, and they're not simply for you. They're for others to hear and be blessed by. 
But we also have these spiritual moments that have a, a missional purpose. Listen, moments that are testimonies of God's work in your life, testimonies of God's grace. And do you realize these moments in which God delivered you, the moment in which God saved you, the moment in which God did something in answer to prayer, part of that moment is about you telling others who have never had those kind of moments, that have not come to know the Lord. So we, we, we talk about this a lot. Your testimony doesn't save anybody. No one's ever going to get saved listening to your testimony. You know that? They get saved by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. They get saved by hearing that they're a sinner separated from God and have the wrath of God upon them under the right judgment of God. But God in his grace in his son Jesus Christ that the wrath of God might be taken away and placed on Jesus so Jesus might die in your place. And if you want to be saved from God's wrath, then you trust Jesus Christ and all of a sudden all of the wrath is poured up on him and you get his righteousness. And if you trust and follow him, you can be saved. That's how somebody gets saved. But you know there are some people that are going to never listen to that story unless they first hear your story. Your story matters. You say, well, my story's not dramatic. I've heard about these guys, you know, that were addicted to drugs and they're three and all this. I know. I know those guys are out there. And I always wished I had one of those testimonies. I know we all think it should be more dramatic. Here's the bottom line. If God saved you from hell, it doesn't matter if you were six or 66, your testimony is dramatic. Your testimony is a miracle. And do you know that your story and your moments matter because God wants to use your moments in the life of people who don't know? But they also serve even a more significant purpose, a motivational purpose, because you need to be reminded of what God has done. You, it, it is amazing to me, always amazing to me how we come to some moment and it's a moment that we've been through time and time again but for some reason this moment seems more difficult and, and bigger and that we can't seem to make it and we need to be able to look back and say, God, I remember when you did this before and I'm gonna believe you're gonna do this again. Now, I'm not saying you have to do this but I'm just telling you that's why I keep something like this. I, I, I really wouldn't be embarrassed for anybody to read this. It doesn't have my deepest, darkest secrets. What it has is, is it has a just a testimony, a record of things that God has said to me and things that God has done for me. I could take you back to my journal from 2015 in which I was finding myself at the most difficult time of my entire life. I was physically, emotionally, spiritually exhausted. I wasn't sure I would ever preach again. I stepped away uh, for an extended period of time in order just to figure out what God is doing in my life. And it was during that moment in which God brought me to Psalm 7120 in which it says this. He who has shown you many troubles and calamities will revive you again. From the depth of the earth, he will bring you up again. He will restore your greatness and comfort you again. I took that verse, I wrote it down, and was talking to my family last night. I believe without question it was that moment that allowed me to get to this moment. And, and, I, and I wrote it down. I think about in 2017 when I was trying to decide whether I was going to move my family to Bogart, Georgia. Who'd ever heard of Bogart, Georgia? <laughs> I just remember writing things down about what God had done and the way in which God navigated and now being able to go back and say, God, I know why you brought us here because of this promise and this promise and because of what that person said and the moments that Andrea spoke into my life and we talked about this together because they're recorded here. I'm going to tell you one I was even thinking about this morning. Right here, this little red tab, this is my Hoosier One card, this is this little red tab, represents things that in February I felt like I needed to pray for. 
just things that God gave me, specific things, a whole list of them of things I felt like God wanted me to pray for, for my family and for our church. I could give you some incredible examples of the way in which God answered those prayers, but there they are, all of those right there. One of them, and this was crazy, I don't know why I thought it or why the Lord gave it to me, but I began to pray on February the 4th that God would help us to be $500,000 over budget this year. Now that's ridiculous, but we're $430,000 over budget. Now the reason I wrote that down is because God gets the credit for that. Like we seek the Lord, we ask him to do something, and God does it, and those serve as motivators for me to say, Josh, why didn't you ask for 700,000? You know, you just, it, it motivates you to go, ye of little faith. These are motivators for us, looking back at the good thing God has done. Listen, God wants to take these spiritual moments and make them monuments in your life, testimonies to the faithfulness of God. And your life is filled with them. Let me just, let me just tell you the other kind of monuments. We have these spiritual monuments, these spiritual moments, but the other thing you need to see is, is God also has living monuments, living monuments. Right down beside that, 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. I'm not going to read all of that scripture, but in that passage, Peter is talking to us about the way in which God builds the church. And twice in that passage, he refers to the members of the church, listen, as living stones, living stones. And he's using the symbolism of the temple, that the temple is built by stones, and so it is that God is building his church through stones. And I'm confident that he is also pointing back to this moment in Joshua 4 in which we don't just have moments that are monuments. Listen, you are a monument. Your entire life is a monument to the grace of God. You are a living stone. And the way in which God builds his church is he takes you and you and you and you and he puts together all of these living monuments and those come together to show something to the world that is absolutely incredible. You are a monument. Where would you be without Jesus? What would you have without Jesus? What hope would you have? What kindness in your heart would you have? Where would you be without Jesus? The answer is nowhere. Your life is a living monument, pointing back to a thousand different moments in which God has displayed his faithfulness to you. Your life has a memorial purpose that your life might point the next generation to the goodness of God. Your life has a missional purpose that every part of your life might be pointing others to Christ. Your life has a motivational purpose that others might see where you came from and they might want to know the same God. You are a monument. This should put some significance into our life. We're not just talking about heaps of stones. We're talking about a living, breathing monument to the faithfulness of God. That's you. I'll close with this story. Some of you uh, know about uh, Andrea, uh, Andrea's journey through cancer in 2013. We've talked about that a little bit here and there. Uh, God taught us so much through all of that all of that, but there's, there's one part of it you, you may not know. It's, uh, it's about this guy up here. Now, that's Josiah. You say, well, Josh, you have tons of pictures. Why did you choose that one? Because I wanted you to see that hair and muscles are hereditary. That's just part of who we are as Smiths. <laughs> like everything else he got from mom, but hair and muscles, that's all me. <laughs> July 2013, Andrea's diagnosed with stage four cancer. 
600 hours of chemo, 26 rounds of radiation, uh, major surgery, four spinal infusions to get chemo to her brain. It was an exhausting year. At the end of that, uh, I don't know what it was, just we had gone through a lot of stuff at church and a lot of stuff at home. I was completely exhausted. I entered into an extremely difficult physical and emotional time that lasted a couple of years. All that to say, we entered into 2015 absolutely worn out. We were just tired. Some of you know that feeling. And that's when in March of 2015, Andrea came and told me she was pregnant. I would love to say that immediately we were just thrilled at how great news this was. This, this took, I mean, I'm 44 with a three-year-old, all right? I'm changing diapers as a 44-year-old. You just didn't imagine. That's not how I mapped things out. We just started to, to be reminded of what a miracle it was. As a matter of fact, after he was born, we went for a six-month checkup, and I remember grabbing uh, a little brochure that says diffuse large B-cell lymphoma, which is what Andrea had, and I opened up. I was reading the side effects. This was after she was already better, and it said the number one side effect is infertility. I said, well, not, I mean, not definitely. That's not totally true. <laughs> I remember Andrew calling her oncologist and saying, we just found out we're pregnant. What will we do? And he goes, I don't know. We haven't had this happen before. And we started to realize that, man, God was in this, and this was, this was really a miracle. I was reading my Bible one morning, and I came to 2 Kings chapter 23, 25, and we had just found out that after four girls, God was giving us a little boy, and 2 Kings 30, 23, 25 says this, There was never before or after a king like Josiah who followed the Lord with all his heart, soul, and mind. And I thought, boy, that's a great name. He could share my initials and inherit all my monogrammed things. This is great. I got a lot, and I thought, I wonder what Josiah means. I looked it up, and Josiah means the Lord is healed. Listen, I, I could spend the next three hours telling you about the spiritual monuments in our life through that time, the way in which God taught us the real meaning of hope and the way God taught us the real meaning of the love of God and how God did deep things into you. But I can also show you this picture and say that not only do we have spiritual monuments, we have a living, walking, absolutely wild monument <laughs> named Josiah. He's a walking testimony of the goodness of God. Now listen, you may not have a Josiah, but you have moments and monuments. Every moment of your life, the beautiful, the painful, the good, the bad, the ones you remember, the ones you have tried to forget, all of those are about God using these moments in your life so that your life actually might be a monument to his faithfulness. You can ignore them, you can run past them, you can act like they don't exist, but God is the one who has orchestrated them because God has something for your life, listen, that is beyond you. This is not just about you. Your life is not just about you. It's so the next generation might know. It's so that the lost people might know. It's so that you might be reminded that our God is good. And here's the way that you use them. You've got to start by seeing God in your story. You've got to see God in every part of your story. Some of you have some painful stories. You've got to see God in the midst of that story who is sovereign over all of that. Not only must you see him in that, you must surrender your story to him. This is not just your story. This is his story. You take your life and say, God, I've been holding these things back. I haven't shared these things. But the truth is there is somebody that needs to hear these things. So God, I surrender my story to you. And then you start sharing it. You've got to share your story. 
God is in it and God is orchestrating. You have to share your story. Your life is a series of moments that all exist as a testimony to the goodness and grace of God. So share your story because God's in it. And God's got something incredible he wants to do by taking your moments and make them a monument to his faithfulness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning.